Appalachian and Timber Ghost Outdoor Adventures Podcast. We're going to talk hunting, fishing, and everything outdoors. So pull up a seat and enjoy our campfire stories. Thanks for joining us. Hey guys, thanks for joining me today. We have a great guest today. we got Michael Lopez from Tiny Boat Nation. This guy's been an inspiration to me, man. It's like I started my tiny boat a couple years ago, but because of COVID, really couldn't do much with it. But the stuff this guy is doing on aluminum boats and John boats is just amazing with the aluminum framing. He's got tons of tutorials. You know, here's the deal. If you love these, like, ranger and tracker boats and stuff like that, but you can't afford it, he's going to show you how to build one similar or better. Amazing stuff. Really glad to have him on the show. Let's welcome Michael Lopez. Hey, Mike, what's going on? How you doing tonight? How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. So, uh, were you born and uh, raised in Sierra Vista? I was. Yeah, for, yep. So, yeah. Um, so, when did you start fishing? Uh, my dad took me out fishing, I don't know, when I was like five or six, and that was uh, kind of bluegill. Um, one of the closer lakes over there next to Sierra Vista, and uh, that was hooked after that. It was hooked. Nice, nice. I spent most of my time trying to fish after that. Like, uh, so you got you're in Arizona, obviously. Um, do you guys fish on lakes or rivers most of the time? Um, I fish on a lake most of the time. I'm connected to the Colorado River chain. Uh, most of the major lakes are filled through a river chain. A lot of it's not fishable, but some of it is. So I think the majority of people fish lakes here. Uh, yeah, mainly around Maricopa County, there's a chain of lakes, pretty big lakes. And I live out here in Lake Havasu now, and uh, that is, you know, it, that just flows right through the Colorado River from Laughlin. Okay. Where I'm at, yeah. And then there's some, obviously there's some standalone lakes with that are not even associated with the river chain. That are, they do pretty well. And did, uh, they, what do you have, all the different kinds of bass on it? Yeah, we have pretty much everything that you can get, aside from, like, pike and muskie. There's pretty much everything here. And walleye, we don't have walleye. Those pike, muskie, none of the northern stream fish really are here, but everything else is here. Striper, largemouth, smallmouth, all yeah. kinds of sunfish. Yeah, because <laughs> it's funny. When I saw some of your pictures of stripers, I was, like, shocked. Because right now, like, I live near the Hudson River in upstate New York, and, uh... Mm -hmm. You know, we have striper runs. They come out of the ocean. When I saw you with the uh, stripers out there, I was kind of like I was baffled by it. <laughs> yeah, they run the show down here. They're the dominant species. They eat everything up. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, they're pretty they're pretty ruthless. So, wow. yeah, they're out here. So, uh, brought you on to talk about boats. So, uh, did you have a vision of Tiny Boat Nation, or did this come about? No, it just kind of came about. I, um... I had built a, I had modified a um, Sea Eagle Fold Cat. That was the first boat that I ever personally owned. It was an inflatable catamaran made out to be a foldable deck boat that you could fish like a bass boat. And so I, and then somewhere down the line, YouTube cross fed me and suggested feed um, like a John Boat to Bass Boat conversion, like one of the, one of like the way earlier ones. And uh, that's how I got, I kind of got hooked. When I figured out that you could make your own passport, I kind of, I like immediately tried it. And then, um, then I did a few other ones. It was kind of an evolving process and I started getting some good feedback on YouTube. But that was, my feed, my YouTube channel was mainly for paintball before this. 
And uh, then I, I switched over once. I got some phenomenally better feedback doing the boat thing than, than the paintball thing. So it kind of just took over my channel. Nice, nice. Yeah, because I've been following you for a couple of years. Uh, like, yeah, last year I lost pretty much with COVID because I worked for the state, so I was doing a lot of running around with PPE. But um, one thing I want to thank you because, you know, you're it's a great thing you're doing, like showing people how to do all this because you've got some serious talent in this. And uh, on behalf of everybody on Tiny Boat Nation, I thank you, man. So, because it's amazing the stuff. Yeah, it's amazing the stuff you're doing. Um, so you did modify your first boat. Um, what was the modifications you did to it? Uh, it was a uh, twelve thirty-two John boat, like a Sears, and uh, it was a horrible first build. It was no good. So um, I found that out through trial and error after building a few more that it was terrible. So I actually posted a video. Um, on how not to build one, and, and I showcased that boat as it, and talked about why you shouldn't build it that way. So there was it was it was really raw when I went in there. There was there was people that had posted them, and there was just a lot of random videos, but there was nobody that like was that like like you know where there's a generally a major influencer for any category of YouTube. There was none of them. There was just like random videos scattered out of how people did the process, and so. That's right. what most of us had to base our, our time off of. And then I, right when I did it, there was another partner of mine who actually runs TV Nation with me or helps me. His name's Ryan Fire and Fishing. Him and I, were, we were kind of uh, doing it together, like doing the boat. He was building his boat, I was building mine. We did a few things. We started the Facebook group. And then after that, like it, it evolved pretty quickly. Like it went, it went a long way in a very short period of time in terms of collaboration of ideas. And um, finding out what works, people people constantly flaming my videos for using wood and saying this was better, this was lighter, and then debunking a lot of that and figuring out what actually worked. And um, getting, I guess, getting an unofficial best practice, which is, uh, I guess, what we would call it. If I could call it anything, it's an unofficial best practice on how to modify one. Yeah, right. Because I, I did see that. That's the ones with the wood. You know, it's a great idea. A lot of guys do it. So, um, but like you said, uh, it's about weight and being able to handle it yourself. You know, that's that was a big yeah. thing for me when I, you know, like I said, I got a lot of great ideas for you. I did start a boat, but because of COVID and with me running around with my job, I had to put it on hold. Um, but that was the thing. I didn't. I wanted this. I have a twelve foot, and I and I row it a lot. So because uh, I take it on reservoirs, we can't have motors and. Um, the thing, the thing with that is, you know, the weight. And uh, but now <laughs> I saw today uh, that post about uh, make make plywood cheap again. So I heard it's uh, really expensive. Now, when when you first yeah. were doing the boats, was was it about like monetary value? Well, yeah. Nobody really goes and buys a a bass boat unless you're going to be a tournament angler you're going to be touring the country or touring the region. And it's, you know, there's no reason to put yourself in debt like that. Right. And unless, or unless you have a lot of expendable income, it's just something you can afford. But I mean, to buy, to buy a, a, a major basketball, even like an entry level one, like a tracker for a 170 or whatever, right? There are a lot of maintenance. Um, <clears throat> once you get past a certain horsepower restriction, like the parts for that motor become obscenely expensive. It's a thousand dollars here. It seems like you're, busting out a lot of money left and right and by the time you get to like a big ranger like a 21 foot ranger or 
my drilling, any of those uh, upper class boats, that's it's a big giant money pit to continue to throw money in. So it's got to be something you're really heavily invested in tournament angling. Right. Where you just got a lot of free income. You're very independently wealthy. Otherwise, it's just a, it's not practical for the average person, even somebody who's, you know, fairly well off. It's just not practical to get one of those boats. Yeah, yeah. And, and do it. So, um, yeah, and back then I couldn't afford one anyways. Like, I was, uh, I was just starting off my job as a social worker, and we don't make really hard. We don't make a lot of money at the beginning, <laughs> or even later on, you start making some okay money, but not not worth it. Yeah, so yeah, it's a tough field too. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, because uh, you know, like I said, a big part of it for me was you know financial. You know, the ideas are great, and it kind of gives the average Joe a shot at having some. I love your, the boats you guys are making. I mean, personally, I'd probably rather have one of those over a bass tracker. <laughs> you know. We're getting to it. Yes. So you're doing it full time now? Yeah, I'm a full time YouTuber, but I but it's 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 a creating platform of sorts. It's um I have this channel, I have another DIY channel called DIY Culture. But because this channel is so uh, intensive, like it takes up most of my time. So running two channels is pretty hard without an editor. Right. So right now I stand alone and do everything so it's just whenever I have time to feed something to the other channel I drop it in but it does it's doing okay considering it's only got like 15 or 16 really usable videos um I think it got it's got pretty substantial movement so um I just kind of just flow whatever 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 is the most successful I'll end up kind of trending on yeah so you ship out parts and stuff like that that you make I don't mainly just to influence like that department um so building and creating stuff obviously videoing it and editing it and showing it to my audience is my main thing okay um but we have we have a store where we sell physical products and then there's there's obviously some good people i met along the line that that do do that more and don't do any really any of the media stuff hardly and so so it kind of works out Right. We do have a physical store that sells products, so but I'm just mainly media. Very nice. So you do a lot of bass fishing. Uh, what's your go-to bait out there? I just like I like to chuck big swim baits as much as I can to get to to go for trophy fish. But when that doesn't work out, I I generally use a chatterbait or a drop shot. Nice. And well, you were making. Oops, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, you're fine. Uh, yeah, so you're making your own lures? Yeah, I started doing that also. And is this for uh, your own personal use? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I, once I make them, I'm too greedy to, to sell them off. Like, people ask me, and for me to be for it to be worth it, I have to charge $100 a pop, and then I actually have to go out there and do them. And Like, I, I, have, I barely have enough motivation to go and do them myself. Like, right now, I need to go and make, like, 20 more. Right. But it's finding the time to do it. Or I have to like be in a mood to do it, and I just haven't been. I'm getting there. Probably next week I might go out there and, and try it again. But it bait making is monotonous. Like it, it's just a repetition all the time. Right. Like it's, it, it, it's, it it blows. It starts getting yeah, like tedious. Like it. So, <laughs> well, it's know. it's funny you say that. You know, hundred bucks. Uh, I don't know if you heard of the Marlin baits. 
No. Uh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. yeah, so it's funny because uh, he makes some really nice stuff, you know, and all the custom airbrush work. And he said that he actually put one up and it went for a hundred bucks. And he said by the time like they took all the fees and stuff, it was like fifty bucks in his pocket. But but still, like you know, like who's gonna buy a bait for a hundred bucks? You know. <laughs> yeah, that guy's the king on YouTube. He is. I mean, yeah, he's fantastic. His processes aren't like very transferable to a general audience. But um, as far as like bait making goes, yeah, I don't really can't find a better one. At least not one as public as he is or, or as well known. So he's. Yeah, that was. I, I lost a few Sunday videos, but they were really on. How do you make one of these with a full time job? Yeah. <laughs> like, because I mean, he's got a shop and he's got all those tools and he's got saws and he's gonna sit there and to work to work with like that is that takes a long time. No doubt, no <laughs> doubt. Does baits, how he does baits takes a long time. So mine was like, how do you do it in the shortest, fastest, simplest way with like literally stuff from Hobby Lobby? Right, right. <laughs> so that was uh. Yeah, I've got, I've got a few requests to do more of those, but, so, again, when I have time. But, yeah, the boat, the boat building thing kind of soaks up all my time. Yeah, no doubt. It seems like you're really busy nowadays, but I like what you're doing, even with the question and answers. You know, and that's the thing, too. You're very patient because, you know, you must answer, like, the same question over and over. But, you know, being that people come in and they're new to seeing it, I, I totally get it. Yeah, you have to do that. You can't, you can't not answer questions. Yeah. Like, I don't have an overwhelming flood of people. Like, it's, it's a lot. It is a lot every day, but it's not, like, so many to where I just neglect them all. I mean, there's some YouTubers out there that, I don't know, how, what they would have to do. They'd have to have their own person to do it. So, right. Yeah, some people just don't actually look at comments or answer questions at all. Yeah, that's, yeah. Like, that's a good one. So, yeah. So, the four-day build, tell us a little bit about that. Um... There was a, a gentleman who was a pretty big fan of ours from like the beginning, very successful gentleman, um, built his own boat the first time, and then was it got ruined like by weather. It let, got left outside or something. It got ruined. And then by the time he got everything to do it, there's something happened to him uh, to where he couldn't really build it anymore. Right. And so he had all these parts and stuff that he got, and then he couldn't build his boat. And so... Uh, he worked it out with Nate down there in Illinois, um, a certain way to do it. And, and they were going to just, he was going to bring in their Nate reserve four days of shop time for him. And they were just going to try and get as much done as possible. And, uh, I was like, well, I wonder if, if it'd be worth it for me to go down there. And he, and later on, he messaged me, are you serious about going down? And then, because all these people also want to come down there. So essentially my whole crew, that people I've been working with from afar, were willing to go and collaborate there. I guess it was a really good middle point. Um, so I ended up going down there a few weeks before Christmas and doing that thing. Yeah, so you know, that was that was an amazing build, man, watching you guys do that. Yeah, thank you. So uh, would you just have a boat show? This past weekend, yeah, the Lake Hampson got a boat show, so I I went to the Fallon Marine down here because they're really good at out, like the outboard stuff, and um, I kind of partnered with them, and then I went around and toured and documented the events. So the event documentaries are kind of fun, but that's more like a hobby thing. I don't get right, right. You would do any of that? Yeah. Would you put a new motor on the boat? Uh, no, I, I 
newer motor. I got my motor last year. Okay. Playing five horse Merc. Because I thought there was a video you like on, on taking one out of the plastic and all that. Oh yeah, that that wasn't my motor. Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I was, was like, motor. Yeah, that was a. Uh, motors are hard to come by right now. There's a big giant shortage and a huge demand for them. So. No kidding. Yeah, it's huge demand. There, a lot of people are pushed out till May or June. They're before they even see their motor. Wow. Yep. So, uh, what's your thoughts on the electric motors? Oh, they're they're gonna make they're coming. Um, very expensive. Like you gotta again be pretty independently wealthy to make anything really long lasting out of them. Like we just Ryan actually demoed. He recorded and put on his YouTube channel a fifty horse electric Elko, and that was a ninety six volt motor. So it took eight batteries, and they were eight lithium batteries. So it was the lightest setup you could have. And even it was like 600 pounds or just under 600 pounds. Oh, wow. Batteries, and they were lithium. And you know how, like, so to put like nine AGM batteries in there, I don't, that's like, I got to be like a thousand pounds. Right. It's got to be like a lot of, it's got to be a lot more weight, maybe even over a thousand. So the, the, the lightest we could get it for its amp out, its amp requirements was, uh, yeah, it was like just under 600 pounds. And uh, that the boat actually did really well. It was a it was a bigger kind of grizzly looking. I think it was an eighteen or nineteen foot, like kind of grizzly style John boat. I think it was a low, and uh, it pushed three people. And there are three fairly sizable people like in the boat. You know, um, it pushed them at like twenty five miles an hour, and then when they took when it was just only had one person in the boat, it maxed out at twenty six. So it had a it probably could have went up in prop pitch for just one person, but it played, it played three grown adults. I mean, one of those adults is really going to simulate how much the kit weighs. So, I mean, two adults plus gear. I mean, the boat's going to go 25, and I think 25 for that boat with gear, persons, and a live wall is really good. Nice. You know, it's, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be faster than anything out there on Georgia. But right now, currently, like the, the norm for the electric outboards is. I don't know anywhere from a ten to a twenty horse, but then it's the battery setup that gets you. The motor themselves are more expensive than, than the gas out, the, the gas powered outboards, but it's it's not just that. It's you got to eat that initial cost, and then you got to eat the cost for the batteries. So what you'll see is you'll, you'll see people go and buy these really expensive outboards, and then they'll they'll chain together four lead acid batteries, or you know four AGMs, which are heavier than lead acid batteries a lot of the time, and so you that horsepower limit is reduced. So, I mean, it's, by the time you get a 20 horse on the actual boat, there's so much weight in the boat that it doesn't go very fast. So none of those boats that I saw really got on plane ever. The, the first boat that I saw get on plane was at 50. That's the only electric boat that I saw get on plane aside from like, you, you look up like Tesla's 300 horsepower monster. <laughs> right. That thing flew, you know, that thing was, that thing definitely got on plane. But I mean, aside from that, I mean, Ryan's video is the first time I ever really saw success like a successful like i could see that boat and it's going to do well you know and then i know tracker launched their version too but i'm not terribly familiar with it yeah i, I didn't realize it was that much weight because with the new lithium batteries i figured it wouldn't be that bad but that's 600 yeah, to a thousand surprised too i was surprised too but yeah it's, it's not just like something it was about the amount of draw that that motor required it wasn't just that it required 
eight 12 volt batteries. Right. It was eight very, very high output 12 volt batteries. So I think that is where it, the battery started weighing a little bit more. Yeah. Than lithium battery. Because you can get a 100 amp hour lithium battery, but I, from what I talked to the guy, 100 amp, 100 amp hour lithium batteries like a Dakota lithiums wouldn't cut it. And so I mean, those are fairly light, but it, it would have required something else. I think it was 120 or 130 amp hour out. Maybe it was 130 amp hour out. It was something, but I mean, the whole the whole deal together is about a 30 grand investment just for the motor batteries. And that's not including the boat. Wow. So, yeah, it's a lot of money. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I ice fish and I know like the uh, lithium augers are doing well now, you know, and so it's it's nice. But I didn't realize the boat motors, wow, went into it. Do you see yourself in the future with one? <laughs> no, not unless, not unless I move to somewhere where there's an all-electric exclusive venue like Georgia or somewhere their lakes or freshwater reservoirs. So gas outboards are simply not allowed. It's yeah, not right. Or electric, that's like an electric bass boat mecca down there. Um, so I can't personally see... Um, I was supposed to do possibly something without going in the future, but it's never been set in stone of, of demoing a little five horse on this small little portable boat that I have. Um, but that has not uh, really came into fruition. Yeah, because you know it's scary. I don't want to be political, but it's like we're getting pushed down that road. You know, we're anti-gas. <laughs> it's like, oh man. But no, yeah, it, it'll be hard to replace gas outboards. They're still. They're still cheaper on average than the standard electric outboard, and then gasoline is substantially cheaper than lithium batteries. Yeah, right. Yeah, the quite close. And, uh, yeah, so just – unless they start really taxing, taxing and tariffing gas outboards, which they may. You never know with this government, but – Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's the only way that I could ever see this thing starting to become a normal. It's just way too expensive to even own one and do anything real with them. So, right. I mean – yeah, the the, the electric basketball trains are slow. They're slow. They're not fast. So uh, you've come quite a ways with your generations of framing. So what what's uh, the latest fad that you got going on? Oh, I have the Gen Seven, the micro frame, and that is uh, specifically made for very small drum boats with like not a whole lot of uh, displacement in the water. Nice. So right now it's going. It's right now it's going into a 1232 John boat. That's pretty much the smallest John boat out there. I don't think they even make them anymore. Most most companies have went out to 1236 right. minimum. And if I had a 1232 John boat, that's that's one from the past. It's about the size of a, a relative size of a kayak. And so uh, the frame weighs nothing, and it uh, gives you you know dry compartment features. We have waterproof aluminum boxes that you can rivet together. And the whole frame is riveted together, but it, you can get a waterproof box with, with a dry hatch feature that will allow any water to go into the box as long as you don't hit a tsunami or something. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and so it's going to drain rather effectively and efficiently. And as a result of that, I mean, I, I plan to make it to where it's relatively close to like a Hobie 12 or 14 foot because those are pretty heavy themselves. Right. And they, I really truly believe that I can make this boat have tons more storage in it and it's only going to weigh 
maybe not even that much more than the Hobie, but it'll still it'll it'll be very Chuck Bettle. Nice. Sorry, I think uh, I can really magic. I, I'm not gonna be able to match the aerodyne, you know, the aerodynamics of a, of a yak. Um, but you know, I was able to test out a Hobie Pro Angler 360 with a friend of mine who's who's a very avid yak person, kinda. and uh, standing in one of those. You know, it's pretty enlightening. They're they're really not much off from like a twelve foot jump boat. I mean, you get all these really avid yakers talking about like the stability of a yak and how they're they're so stable and it's just BS. It's not they're not that stable. Right, right. They're not. They're not but I guess if you're just a, an average and that's all you had in your head in turn, you know, then you would think it's great. But the the fact is, it's really not hard to match a yak in terms of stability and weight. I right. think as right. long as you can do it right. So. The whole the whole strategy is to make something that weighs. Yeah, you can run off little two little trailer dollies, not trailer dollies, you know, like little dollies in the back, little yeah. wheels that flip down. Yep. I mean, and you can get that thing in your truck bed, out of your truck bed, push down the ramp, and just go. You don't need a trailer, and it'll be light enough to do all those things, and it'll have it'll store twelve rods, like actually store them, no a crates, no gimmicks, no BS. Like that's another thing with the Hobie, the Hobie uh, little side rod rollers, they're they're gimmicks. I mean, you can use them while you're transporting the yak, but like when you're in there, it's not really usable storage. The side, little side rod holders. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a gimmick. So like actual twelve rod storage, it will store twenty plus tackle trays, like thirty seven hundred series tackle trays plus batteries, plus a gas tank if you want it. We're gonna pretty much we're gonna fit a bass boat in there, and it's gonna do. I think it'll do really well. That's so awesome. I, yeah, I think it'll be very hard to beat. I mean, the trend, it is it is made to trend. It is made to go and, and to do it. And it'll be fairly cheaper to do it because, I mean, building a, building a smaller boat requires much less capital, even if you make it really advanced. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, you know, I just actually bought a kayak the other day, but um, that's that's the awesome part I love about boats, you know, is just being in it and being comfortable. And that's a pretty, that's going to be a pretty stable boat as well. It's about going to be about as stable as a Hobie Pro Angler. So not that stable. Not, <laughs> it takes some getting used to. It's like it's definitely like a one person machine. I do plan to possibly make some type of float pods. I guess they call them outriggers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they would be specific for the John boat. And I've thought about ways to do that. I probably have to make detachable glass, fiberglass outriggers, um, out of foam or something. I, I've seen people do something similar. Like I've seen people make fiberglass kayaks or fiberglass paddle boards, and those are pretty sweet. But they, they pretty much do it out of foam. They cut the foam strategically and uh, they glass it over. Oh wow! Yeah, and then uh, it works that way. So probably it's probably good. It's going to need outriggers for anything serious stable, but I, I plan on using it mainly in shallow water. It's going to be it. I'm going to take it out in the middle of the, in the, in the middle of the lake. It's like the death deck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You see the guys out in the kayaks just pedaling out there in the middle of the lake, and I'm here's asking to get ran over. Like, nobody's going to see you. Yeah, right. No doubt. Yeah, it's, it's very paranoid. Like, if, yeah, if the boat doesn't catch you in their field of vision, bef- like to the right or left before they cross your area, you're going to run you over. So, I mean, not the I way, that, not the way you want to end it. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. So yeah, I just want to. Yeah, it'll probably it really just will be for pond. So I mean, it's perfect setup for somebody who wants an optimal setup who's pond hopping or fishing. 
fairly calm rivers or even smaller bodies of water, like smaller lakes, like in Illinois and Georgia, where there's just a chain of electric lakes. Yeah. Like they'll do, I think we'll do extremely well there. That's awesome. Can't wait to check that out. But like I said, you know, I, I appreciate, I'm sure I could speak for everybody else, tiny boat nation, you know, uh, you're doing good things, you know, great ideas. Actually, I, I, I don't know. I, you obviously you don't do any ice fishing down there, but I just got back into ice fishing this year. And, uh, have you heard jet sled? It's like stuff they toast, tow all your gear in. Um, I'll send you pictures of it. It's because of the, the great ideas I got from you. I actually, uh, aluminum framed it and put lids on it and lights inside of it. I'll send you some pictures, man. But that, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, send us some pictures. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. so I'll, what I'll do is I'll put them up on a tiny boat. I know it's not a boat, if unless you don't want me to send them to you and if you want to put them out there. No, but that's a permission. Just be like, look, some boat ideas inside the sled. Yeah, because um, it, it, it was all yeah. thanks to you, brother. <laughs> oh, thanks. I appreciate that. So... Hey, I, I just want to thank you again for coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure. Maybe, you know, down the road I can get you back on and we can talk about other stuff you're doing. Sure, no problem. So uh, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Michael Lopez from Tiny Boat Nation. Check him out on YouTube. Got a John Boat or a V-Haul you want to and uh, put some rod lockers in, some lighting. Make it like one of these high-end bass boats. That's where you want to check it out. Also, check out his DIY culture channel. That sounded pretty good, too. I have to check it out. Like I said, I've got some great ideas off Michael Lopez, so I want to thank him again for coming out. Um, one thing, I did drop the ball. I did not ask him to tell a campfire story, so... I have to make up for that. I'm going to have to tell you one of my own, I guess. So the story I'm going to tell you guys is uh, a hunt I had on a farm that I grew up on, Ryan Crest Farms in Unionvale. Uh, I was turkey hunting one year. And let me basically set the stage for you. So it's up on the corner of an alfalfa field, but immediately behind where I was sitting, it drops down to the bottom of a a hill that's probably within a hundred yards it's a couple hundred feet so it's very steep but basically the birds when they roost is they fly down to the bottom and then they make the trek back up the hill and they come out in the corner of the field so I'm set up I hear them I, they get down to the ground I do my calling which you know it the sound goes down the hill well so this bird comes up, beautiful, beautiful bird, probably a 10-inch beard on him, and I put the shot on him. Bird goes down, but all of a sudden the thing, it pops up, and it takes off running. Now, where I hunt, it's highly elevated. It goes down towards a shop that they have, across the road, and then out across the field towards a golf course. Now, mind you, from where I shot the bird to the golf course, I'm going to have to say easily probably an eighth to a quarter of a mile. It's far. So this bird takes off running. I mean, it was way out of shooting distance. And the best thing I could hope for is that this thing is just going to keel over from, like, loss of blood or something. But as this bird's running across the field... 
he's trying to take flight. So the one wing is flapping, but the other one was dead. So basically, the one wing's just flapping away, and the other one, he just, it was like paralyzed. Next thing I know, it gets way down, and it takes off into the thick alfalfa, and my heart just sank, you know. It, it, obviously, I peppered the bird. I didn't hit him in the head at all, and I went and I looked for it. Nothing. I didn't find any blood. Even where I shot the bird, there was no blood or anything, just a couple feathers. So, the following year, um, same spot. This is like my go-to spot. And I hear a gobble at the bottom of the hill. First, you know, light. They came down out of the roost. I do my calling. This bird comes up. Um, thunderous gobble, too. Like, you know, sometimes I have jakes. They have, like, just kind of a weird, like, weak kind of a gobble. But at this time, you know, the alfalfa was starting to grow, and I could just make out the size, the big size of his head. You know, it wasn't red like a jig. It was that big, like, white and blue and and a little bit of red to it. So I get, I get the, you know, the gun beat on him, and I let him have it. He went right down. Boom. I get up to the bird. Now, I really couldn't make out the uh, the beard on it. But when I get up to the bird... It's got this little tuft, thick though, and it almost looked like somebody, it was probably, the tuft was probably two inches, I'd say. I still have the beard. Um, but the ends of it was all, it looked like bleach. It looked like somebody bleached it out. But then there was a strand of long beard hairs that probably went another eight inches. And I'm just, I was kind of I'm perplexed by it. Um... But as I pick him up, the wing is kind of out of whack. So, you know, I, I don't think nothing. I'm going to take it home. I pluck the bird out. But as I'm working on the bird to get the wing off, the wing was broken. Same side of the bird I shot the year before. I'm Nobody's going to tell me anything different. But this was definitely the bird that I'd shot. Because the bones in the wing were like all dried, so it wasn't like a fresh break. It was they were like brown and like healed. Um, and I almost wonder if the bird was never e even in the roost, because like I said, when I'd heard the bird, it was on the ground. Um, so it's kind of weird because it, I'm gonna. There's nobody gonna change my mind, and that was the same bird. But I got a second shot at that bird, and I put him on the ground. So it was pretty interesting. So that's my campfire story. Um, every week you guys know I do a little bit of a game warden story too. I didn't read this anywhere, but uh, I know a guy, he's an NCON officer here in New York, and he posts on Facebook a lot, um, like what he's doing, his busts. So it's kind of a funny story, but at the same time you just got to shake your head. <laughs> it's like you can't make this stuff up. But uh, basically this guy... Follows the DEC stocking truck, which in turn was followed a little while after by this NCON officer. Guy catches over the limit, and when the NCON officer shows up, guy's got no license. And the funny part about the post is he says on the post, 
if you're going to follow the DEC stocking truck around, at least have your fishing license. So, um, and then another post like a week later, uh, a bunch of guys with bass. And on certain Facebook groups, there's a lot of outcry with guys. You know, they take pictures. It's April, you know. They're taking pictures with their bass, which here's the deal, man. I just went out with a guy on my boat yesterday, Tyler Valenti, and we were targeting trout with deep divers. It was cold the night before we had snow, and we, it was like a bass invasion. I have actually posted a video of the uh, fishing trip on my YouTube channel, App Appalachian Timber Ghost Outdoor Adventures. But we caught, um, I want to say it was five, four or five smallmouth bass and one trout. We took a picture with the bass that Tyler caught. It was the biggest he ever caught, and uh, we threw it back. So there is proof right there that maybe some of these guys aren't targeting bass, but you don't know because when you're sitting next to a pond, you know, it's like it's hard to say when you're on a, you know, a 10-mile body of water, you know, <laughs> in a boat, and you have video of it all. So it, it's hard to say, you know. But at the same time, you know, if you do catch the fish, you throw them back. It's totally legal. So there's been a lot of squabbling about, you know, guys catching largemouth bass. So it is what it is, you know. That's what can you do about it. But on that note, I'm just going to wrap it up for this episode. Once again, I'd like to thank Tiny Boat Nation's Michael Lopez for coming on the show tonight. So it was much appreciated. And like I said, just amazing stuff this guy's doing and helping people out build beautiful boats. So talk to you next time, guys. Peace out. This episode of Appalachian Timber Ghost Outdoor Adventures podcast was brought to you by Wild King and Soap. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook.